Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reading An Irresistible Force by Rosanna Leo. So this was released very recently on September 29th, 2020, and is the second in the Handyman series. And full disclosure, we received an advanced reader copy of this book, uh, but what follows is our objective review. We are obviously going to be as snarkily honest as we always are in spite <laughs> of receiving the book for free. All right, let's, let's read the jacket. She needed a safe place. He was determined to give her one. TV landscaper Eli Zorn has always been a fixer. But when a family medical situation teaches him there are some things you just can't fix, he's desperate to return to work for a distraction. The demolition of an old cottage in Tranquil, Muskoka, Ontario, is just the ticket. Unfortunately, a gorgeous woman has handcuffed herself to the cottage, and she won't let it go down without a fight. Bernadette Bernie Nolan has history with the place, and she won't let Eli and the handyman team get their hands on her refuge. The cottage belongs to Eli's mentor. Not only is Peter Nolan a giant in the landscaping business, he's also Bernie's uncle. And it becomes clear very quickly that relations in the Nolan family are more than strained. As Eli and Bernie grapple with old loyalties, they are determined to see each other as the enemy. But this is one attraction that cannot be denied, and one that they're losing the will to resist. What do you think? Um, I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's terrible. I don't think it's terrible. I think it gives you a good idea of the book and what you're gonna get. I do wish there was a just a little bit more about his TV show because I want I, you get a lot of her backstory. I think her stuff, everything about Bernie is good. I wish there was just a little bit more about Eli, especially because this series is about him and his brothers and the TV show. So I wish there was a little bit more about that to tie it into the whole series. I think my biggest issue with this jacket, it's cute. It's fine. It gives you a good idea of the surface level mm -hmm. of the con, but the biggest conflict in this book is they both have effectively PTSD from traumatic bullying. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of the centerpiece of the conflict, the centerpiece of their commitment issues, the centerpiece of every conversation, it, conversations including those happening before and after sex. It's the thing that gets resolved in the denouement. And so the fact that, and she works for an anti-bullying bullying charity, like it is such a fundamental part of both of their characters that to have it not even be mentioned in the jacket is a little weird. Yes. I, I will say to be fair to Rosanna Leo, there is a reader advisory that I did not leave in to the jacket. So it's not a part of the jacket. There is a reader advisory that says this book contains mentions of childhood bullying, inadequate parenting, stalking, sexual assault, and a brief scene of sexual harassment. Yeah. And I appreciate those trigger warnings, mm -hmm. but I'm saying if I wanted to know what this book is fundamentally about and what like draws the characters together, yeah, it is just a weird thing to not have mentioned in the summary itself. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I did, I did want to say that, you know, if you are reading this online or, or in maybe on the, um, 
physical book that might be on the back and might be on yeah. the jacket. So it might be part of it. But you're right. It's not woven into the narrative the way it is in, in the book. Right. So as usual, we gen generated a random number and wrote our own summaries to try to top the jacket. And this week, our random number was 34. Meg, what was your 34-word summary? When your childhood cabin slash safe space is going to be demolished, why not chain yourself to a load-bearing pillar inside? Also a great way to ensure forced proximity with the really hot demolition crew. Yeah, so Meg did such a good job with the overall plot that I wanted to get a little more specific. <laughs> so my summary, in the course of sticking it to your horrible uncle, you happen to meet your TV crush and you happen to fall in the mud and he happens to have a shower. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. What, I mean, what else are you going to do? I really appreciated that in this book. Um, there was a real emphasis on how gross they were mm -hmm. living in this protest cabin. There really and, was, yes. Like, not having plumbing and not having various necessities. And the fact that such a big show was made out of them going back, completely showering, restoring to full cleanliness, and then, like, just waiting a couple hours was really necessary for my, like brain to find it sexy I was yeah. like oh thank god I was so afraid they were gonna hook up when they're like both hadn't showered in four days and she'd like fallen in the mud I was like oh god I don't think I could read uh, oh god I don't want to read that it was like nope showered saved cool. saved at the last moment <laughs> cool 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 I'm very happy with that so as you can hear from the book jacket we have quite a few wonderful romance tropes that we're enjoying throughout the course of this book so it starts out with a little bit of enemies to lovers. They don't have like a past history. So it's not like, um, what are they? The Capulets and the Montagues, right? So it's not like, no, but definitely he there's, has something that he wants to get done and she is keeping him from doing it. There's no personal animosity at all, but they're on different sides of an issue. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So Eli is a famous TV handyman. Yeah. It's I I actually kind of love this TV show that she's created. So and and I could 100% see it on HGTV. Like this is a show that could 100% exist if it does not already exist. Like there are three hot dudes who each have a different specialty of renovating a house, right? Mm -hmm. So Eli, who's the hero of this book, he does the landscaping. But one of the other guys, like, does the architecture, and then the other guy does, like, the carpentry or something, you know? <laughs> I have to be honest, I don't remember what the other two brothers do. I don't think they specify. Um, but it's, it's – and they're all hot, and they're all, you know – nice and and photogenic it's like this is 100 percent a tv show that that should exist yeah i'm not up on my hgtv i know there's a show about two brothers yeah there's the there's the property brothers i think and this is i know we shouldn't make fun of people's appearance but the best way i can describe it is to me they both look kind of melted yeah like they're good they're good looking I don't find them good looking. I find them kind of melted. 
Yeah, I don't know. I think they're I think they're good looking. Like I don't hate them or anything. Um, but I, I I imagine Eli is being way hotter than them. That's all I'm saying. At one point in the book, Eli makes fun of a rival show, mm-hmm. and I think that rival show was supposed to be Property Brothers. Could have been, yeah. For Just sure. based on like some of the comments that were made, and they might also be Canadian. I know oh, they know. are Canadian. Yeah. I'm pretty, pretty sure they are Canadian. <laughs> I don't know. But when, when seen... I go on vacation, so I don't have cable TV at my house. I don't have extra channels. And so when I, when I go on vacation, like I do actually literally watch HGTV because I know it's going to be interesting. And, um, I don't know. I'm very interested in seeing houses. Yeah. And so so yeah, like I w- actually when I read this book, I was on vacation in the mountains and I was watching like a ton of HGTV and I was like, "Yup, yup, yup." I was like, "Give it to me, handyman." Every trope. So, so, um, so he's famous. He's famous, mm-hmm. but in a you know HG- HGTV famous kind of way. Right. But like, isn't one of the property brothers dating Zoe Deschanel? Maybe I I, I don't keep that much they those I'm not that interested in them I just think so I saw a headline about it like literally a week ago that's the only reason I think it's fresh in my head because I maybe also don't have cable and don't even think I've seen an episode of the Property Brothers yeah but I do know who Zoe Deschanel is anyway uh so as I mentioned in my 34 word summary there's a lot of forced proximity yes because they are trapped in this cabin at first because she had um changed herself to it but then because of like a once in a century storm yes yes thank you storm i love the storm definitely i i also love that eli gets stuck there because he's the middle child and so he's the the one who like calms down all of the conflict and so they're like yeah obviously you're the one who's got to get stuck with the crazy lady who changed herself to our cabin yep um there is the the central conflict with this cabin is inheritance drama, mm-hmm. which I think is a fun parallel to our historical romances yeah. that we see pop up a lot. And Definitely. obviously there's inheritance drama because she is parentless. Because she's parentless and her grandfather, her grandfather followed the wonderful historical romance tradition of um, primogeniture, primogeniture. And left, I can't pronounce that word. We're both having trouble talking tonight. Anyway, he left the cabin to his oldest son, even though the oldest son didn't appreciate it. Because tradition. Or something. Yeah. Well, and in adding to Peter Nolan's douchebaggery, Eli, in the course of this novel, learns the true face of his mentor. I... Uh, I thought that was so well done. I really liked that part of the book. Oh, I did too, but trope. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like the man so, you thought you trusted and was your father figure has betrayed you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's a fan there. I just went through this whole thing and talked about how they're famous. We'll just throw in there that they are. Uh, it's a family business. Right. And. To add to the specifics of their relationship, one of the things that Bernie's really panicked over is that they're moving too fast, which I think I've read in every modern romance novel I've ever read. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, definitely a contemporary romance trope. 
Yeah. The, you just don't run into that in historical romances because, you know. Society is pushing them toward the altar, and that is the, like, preconceived end result. I mean, if they don't get married by the middle of the book, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> well, because then they're either not having sex or, like, you have to make moral judgments on them. Yeah. This is not a romance, historical romance. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, so not only was Eli the middle child, he also was um, short. He was a late bloomer. But now he's, like, real big. 6'3 and hulking. and. Mm-hmm. A lot is made of his growth spurt and how quickly he went from scrawny and picked on to the protector. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this was my favorite trope in the whole book. Mm. When they go back to shower and and to his place of refuge, you know, he's going to sleep on the couch. (laughs) And I love how Elaine was like, "Uh uh-huh, sure, you're going to sleep on the couch. But uh, the point is that he made the offer. Of course. Sleep on the couch. (laughs) <laughs> and he did start there. Yeah, I mean, so do they all. <laughs> exactly, that's why it's a trope. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I, I thought this was a really well-written and, and interesting book. Like, I thought it was really interesting, actually. I don't think I've ever read a historical romance that was set, a historical romance. I don't think I've ever <laughs> read a romance um, that was set in Canada. I have no idea. I mean, the vast majority of romances I read are set in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Abs. <laughs> I mean, I've read I've read quite a few romances, and even the contemporaries are they're set in small town USA or New York City or somewhere in the U.S. And I really, I really thought that the setting was interesting here because it was something that was different for me. Uh, but felt really authentic. So I I did not do my research here. So I don't know if Rosanna Leo is from Canada, but I'm assuming that she is mm-hmm. because she really seemed to know Toronto. She, need to, she seemed to know that city and then she seemed to know Muskoka as well. Um, and it was just had a lot of like Canadian, I don't even know what I'm looking for, Canadian spice. I don't know. <laughs> passing references like a lot of it what not inside jokes but inside references yeah which I I really liked it actually I really liked it a lot um you know (laughs) I do I do read Canadian authors (laughs) I just have seems like I've never read a Canadian romance author or at least I mean I'm sure some of the historicals we've read that are set in the UK were written by Canadians but clearly Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter in that context in terms yeah. of origins. But anyway, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, in a weird way, it was like a really good book for fall because yeah. the original demolition takes place in this like gorgeous backwoods on the water. Yes, and it like the the ambiance of the book was very like oversized sweater, big cup of steaming coffee, like. Totally. Perfect for this time of year. So a September release date was a very good choice if it was for that reason. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I know this is ridiculous, but I, again, I read this while I was on vacation in a cabin in the woods and it was like, perfect. Mm-hmm. It was like, great. <laughs> so I, I thought, it, I thought it was really fun. 
And then, yeah, I, I know I, again, I already went off on this, but I really, really liked the handyman TV show setup. I thought it was great. The relationship he had with him, with his brothers. I do think that that suffered a little bit for not having read the first book in the series. Yeah. Uh, But I did really like the dynamic between the three of them. I like the dynamic between the three of them. I liked how you also got a feeling for how how the TV show is being filmed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought Leah did her research, you know? Like, I, yeah. they were like, okay, we have to film this, and we have to film this first, and then we have to do this, and this is how we're going to do this. And mm-hmm. I, it was just very – it was interesting to me in that way where I'm reading something that I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I, I never thought about that. Yeah. So – I liked it. Well, and in terms of, I, I, this isn't the only take, I think it's the only romance novel take I've read, but I don't think it's the only take I've seen on sort of pulling back the curtain on reality TV as a concept. Mm-hmm. And I think this did a good job of being realistic about like the logistics involved in a sh- show like this, or theoretically uh, the logistics involved without trying to make some like wider point about reality television. Some like I'm glad it didn't yes. try to go there. Yeah. It wasn't about like authenticity at all. I no. felt like, and, and which look, I get it. There's a lot of really important dialogues to have about authenticity and reality TV and discussions of it are a great medium for that. But like, I'm glad this was able to do the like, hey, this is how a reality show would be produced without delving into some of those heavier issues. Yeah, because I'm, I'm tired of them. Uh, yeah, and I think part of it is that this is, it's a home renovation reality show, which is it's a different a little bit in terms of authenticity than the bachelor or you know i mean to a degree but i know a lot of those shows about like selling or flipping houses are complete farces that by the time you get put on the show you've already decided what you're going to do and they write a fake storyline around it oh sure like in real like yes it's different than like the authenticity of finding love and like an individual as a character but it's still there's a lot of orchestration like what you see is not actually how the home buying or home renovation process went. And I oh, appreciated yeah. that this kind of em- emphasized the like team building and planning aspects without delving into those heavier issues. Yeah, no, I, I appreciated it. I thought it was very interesting. So. Yeah. So as the book jacket said, and as we talked a little bit about um, the cottage that they are demolishing is owned by Peter Nolan. So Peter Nolan is sort of like the original reality t- reality renovation TV guy in Canada. They keep comparing him to Bob Vila. Exactly. In the so text. He's, he's the Canadian Bob Vila. <laughs> and he, he sort of had a like from one day to the next, he had like a huge outburst on set and was fired. Not in the book. This is backstory that you're giving. Backstory. In the- yeah. Sorry, total all this backstory. And so now he's he sort of co- has this like comeback tour basically. That's what this is this show is going to do for him. Is he's going to, you know, sort of come back, put his name back on the map. And he says, "Look, I have this little cottage. Why don't we uh demolish it and do a total renovation here in Muskoka? Um and it'll highlight the area and it'll be nice and Canadian. And then, of course, he'll get a, a boost back into the limelight. Well, and he's going to give Eli a spread in his very famous Homes and Gardens magazine. He makes a big deal out of how restoring this 
family cabin that he's inherited is like has a, a great storyline about like restoring something and keeping it in the family blah 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 mm-hmm. exactly now uh and this isn't i don't think this is something uh, this is not exactly a trope i mean it is a little bit of a trope because as lane said yeah he's he gets to see the true face of his mentor but i wouldn't say that that's what i was expecting when i went into the book even though i had read the content warnings um and i had an idea you know that there was going to be some kind of inheritance battle i don't think I, i saw coming the fact that peter has been like a total douchebag all along, you know, the, the, the caller's been in the house all along. <laughs> oh, I definitely did. From the second oh. he appeared on screen, like page, I was like, oh, that's the villain. Okay. Well, Lane figured it out before I did. <laughs> I, I don't think it, I, it's interesting just cause I wouldn't have said there was anything to figure out. Like yeah. his character is introduced in the first chapter with all these caveats from Eli, who's supposed to be the one person he likes who likes him about all these terrible things he's done and the terrible things he did that Eli ignored. Like, <laughs> I didn't think it was particularly subtle. <laughs> I don't know. I thought there it was possible that there was going to be like a family reconciliation between Peter and Bernie. And that's how, you know, and that Eli is the middle child and, and the conflict ender was going to bring about a rapprochement, which did not happen. And yeah. I think I preferred. Definitely. I like the way all the stuff with Peter was handled, actually. I loved it. I actually really, really liked it a lot. I loved how, I loved how this is a, this was a, a chance for, for you to see, okay, this, this is really, I don't know. This is just my view of it because at least at my workplace, I have been through several like anti-bullying trainings and, you know, bystander trainings and things like that. But until you're actually in the moment, like you don't really know what to do. Um, and what I liked about the book is that it gave you several examples of like how you could react in this kind of situation. Yeah, every character in the book who is dealing with bullying and spoiler alert, on some level, the answer is like all of them mm-hmm. responds to it very differently. Mm-hmm. They all respond to it very differently. And you you sort of are able to say, oh, this is this is the good way to react to it. This is maybe not an ideal way to react to it, you know. And I will say, like, while I appreciated the diversity of perspectives, this book did at times feel like a PSA. I mean, yes, the, it definitely. I think that what happened here was the decision was made that this was going to be the conflict. The main conflict in this book is going to be bullying. And we, we want to present the, the diversity of ways of dealing with it. That said, you could sort of see those, those gears, you know? Yeah. And I don't want to say that bullying doesn't have a lasting impact or that people can't have PTSD from it or that bullying as severe as it was depicted in this book is not something that happens. I a hundred percent believe it is like everybody has to deal with their own trauma in their own way. It was very weird to see effectively a book about high school bullying, Mm -hmm. but all the characters were 30. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that only doubled down on like the PSA aspect of it yeah, to a degree. Well, and I was wondering too for myself. So I personally have never been bullied mm-hmm. um, or bullied anyone. Um, I, I am sure that there have been moments where I probably should have said something. You know, because I I could have stopped something, but nothing like I don't think I've witnessed the specific targeting of one individual by another on the scale that's depicted in this book several different times. Right. Yeah. No. I I agree. And, and so that's, maybe, once again, not to say I don't think it's real or that it's not but it's just something that I did not connect with me at all on a personal level. Yeah. And on the one hand, I think it's it could be tough because I was like, okay, like I'm I'm reading about it, I'm getting it, I'm like, wow, that's really tough. Um, but I didn't necessarily like feel it like in my gut. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, maybe it's important for people where no, it didn't hit me in the gut because it hasn't gotten me there, just so I know that it's around. I don't know. It's very it's hard for me to judge that. Yeah, the only other thing I'd say on the bullying front is therapy is praised pretty heavily in the book. Several characters mention in passing going. Several characters mention working through their issues in therapy. Um, Bernie even talks about her experience in therapy. And I just found it very interesting that Eli has this one specific instance that's really, really haunted him in his life. And the fact that he's so supportive of other people getting help, but has clearly never sought help for himself was interesting and something that if it was a deliberate choice, I wish it would have been named as such in the text. Yeah. Like just having him think positive things about other people going to therapy, knowing he has this internalized trauma and not seeking it out for himself. I wish that had been more explicitly like it. I wish that internalization had been more specifically called out in the text. Like if he had thought to himself, gosh, I can't believe that I have never been, I know it's really helpful, you know, that kind of thing. Or even like, I don't think I need it because I'm so ashamed and I just did the wrong thing. And what's somebody going to help me? Like, even if he was choosing to reject it and then that was called out as unhealthy or just he was scared to go. Like, I just thought it was weird that, like, getting help through a professional who can help you work through emotional issues was so clearly presented in a non-stigmatized way. Yeah. But your macho male main character didn't go get it. Yeah. And I do think there were a couple of moments in this book, like, he's a handyman and she works for a nonprofit to help kids. Like as much as neither of these characters, I felt like represented toxic masculinity or like patriarchy at all. I do feel like there was a little bit of traditional gender rolling going on. I, I, I do wish that it was handy, handy family or something. And like could have been two brothers and a sister or, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it just ended up feeling a little bit, rigid and that yeah, like even course, though that's I I don't like think it's totally great for people to get help but he didn't get it himself yeah um I have to say they had a lot of trauma leading up to their high school reunion like she was like should I go to mine I don't know and Eli was feeling the same way like should I go should I not and they were feeling all this pressure all I have to say is guys just skip your high school reunion. Like, I'm not even kidding. I am never going to any of my high school reunions ever. Not going to happen. And I wasn't bullied. Like, I had, a, I had a great time in high school. Like, I honestly had a wonderful time in high school. I had great friends. High school was fine. I'm never going back there, ever. It's not happening. 
Yeah, I mean, I haven't been to any of mine and don't plan to go, but my situation is a little different because switching high schools in the midst. This is a really well-written, well-thought-through book. The conflict was really weird from the very beginning to me. Mm-hmm. So at the very first chapter, all of the brothers are upset because their mothers had a breast cancer scare. Mm-hmm. And it's the way it was presented, I felt like was really bizarre. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure some of the reason that felt like weird to me was that it was presented in the first book. Right. And like, so it's this like emotional resonance that I just don't feel because I didn't read that. But then like, I really didn't enjoy him having to go to his high school reunion and then actually having to read the high school reunion on the page. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that in the middle of his high school reunion where he's working through all of his issues is where she decides to have the, oh no, we're going too fast, freak out. Yeah. And it just, in a book where I really liked the two main characters and really liked their like meet cute and they're getting to know each other, the entire resolution of the conflict, like the last 20% of the book, I was like, why? Like, this book should be over already. Like, they so, really don't have anything more to work through. And, and that's the thing, too, is like the first 80% of the book happened in Muskoka and like happened yeah. at the demo site and all that stuff. And then the last part of the book, they moved to Toronto and it was like their relationship and like moving a little more slowly and blah, blah, blah. I kind of, maybe this was like the historical romance in me coming up. I would have been fine if they just stayed in Muskoka the entire time. Or even like the conflict is when she leaves for Toronto, she's sure she's never going to see him again. And I would have been fine if the last chapter was him showing up on our door in Toronto. Right. And basically like the gesture of it wasn't this escapism from reality that brought us together. We're going to make it work in the real world. Mm -hmm. I did not need him going and having a long ass conversation on the dance floor with the high school teacher assigned to protect him from his bully. Yeah. Like I did not need any of that. I, I'm just so cynical. I'm just like, I don't, I guess I just don't understand why anyone would want to go to their high school reunion ever. <laughs> on, I, I will say though, I kind I, okay, maybe I'm being too hard on it because I actually do kind of get where he's coming from because he, the person who's, who's um, organizing the high school reunion has been calling him over and over and over because he's like the famous guy in his high school class. So of course they want him to come because it'll get more people to come to the reunion. I guess more people like me who are like, why would I go to a high school reunion? Maybe if one of the guys in my class was like in a TV show that I liked to watch, maybe I, then I would go to my high school reunion. I, like, that none of them are, I can promise you, no one who graduated with me is in a TV show. <laughs> I do think I read an article pre-COVID, so it must have been like a year ago, about Chris Evans randomly going to his high school reunion, wearing a name tag there saying, hi, my name is Chris. Yeah. So, <laughs> Which, like, look, if I went to high school with Chris Evans, yeah, props. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, actually, now I have, I have to backtrack very slightly on everything I just said about high school reunions, because maybe I would go if Eli Zorn were in my class and he were going. I mean, honestly, though, I think in my situation, someone would have to tell me I graduated with Chris Evans or Eli Zorn because I would not know. Yeah, but <laughs> I like, don't know who you, I graduated with. But you with. would get it. You would get it in the high school reunion invitation from the person organizing it saying, and one of the most famous people in our class, this person, class of whatever, is coming. Yeah. So, you know what? I 
I backed, I'm backing my truck back up. Maybe I would be there. <laughs> so other than high school reunions as a concept, did anything about this book offend you? Nothing offended me. I, I actually have to, nothing offended me. I have to say I really liked her um, reader heads up, her reader warning or content warning. Um, so I mentioned it earlier, but she says yeah. it, it contains mentions of childhood bullying, inadequate parenting, stalking, sexual assault, brief scene of sexual harassment. Like, honestly, I think it would be great if all of the historical romances and all of the contemporary romances, all of the romances we had <laughs> had these trigger warnings. I'm not going to lie. I would like that. I mean, honestly, books in general are sort of the only form of entertainment I can think of that don't have trigger warnings of some kind to a degree. Yeah, if you think about it, like movies and games are given ratings and you find out why they were rated what they were. The closest we have with books is like the appropriate age range for books meant for children. But that's more based on the difficulty of sentence structure and words, oh not content. We just had a conversation about this. Yeah, about what, what books are classified as like young adult and which aren't and why. Um, but also, and then the only other thing we get about it is like the genre that it's in. Is it historical romance? Is it contemporary romance? Is it dark romance? Is it but horror? That's, but that's even that. Formally labeled, that's in the same way, like what shelf you find a movie on at Target is what shelf mm -hmm. you find the book on at Target. Exactly. Yeah. I do think not a formal rating system. Like I have a problem with the rating systems for movies and video games, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. But I do think, hey, this book is considered adult because it contains a lot of violence. Mm -hmm. Maybe like maybe you don't even need to get as specific into the trigger warnings, though I definitely do appreciate it from the author. But I do think it would be really helpful in choosing to pick what to read if I had some sense of like what might traumatize me in the book. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. um, so the only thing I'd point out that I didn't, love and some of this is the context of this year mm -hmm. bernie's chained herself to her uncle's house and some local cops come to remove her from the premises and they're mm -hmm. old buddies of hers and so they just like give her a ride away from the house they go back and get her car for her they like yeah. they're overall very good dudes like nothing in this book offended me about their behavior yeah. But given all of the wider conversations society has been having about the way police treat people differently, mm -hmm. I don't think this is Rosanna Leo's intent, but it does call attention to the fact that, like, this petite little white girl who was friends with these cops gets mm -hmm. protected and they r run right to her aid and do they treat everyone that way was in the back of my head during those scenes. And it's a yeah. much heavier issue than this book ever gets at. Yeah. But like small town cop culture is presented as like not problematic and good. Yeah. So is this book sexy lane? Eh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think lane appreciated, first of all, that when they did get sexy, they were clean. Yeah, so I texted Meg this specifically. Bernie, as I've mentioned several times at this point, handcuffed herself to her uncle's house. Mm -hmm. And Eli thinks constantly about her in those, in those handcuffs in a sexual context. Mm -hmm. And then they never bust out the handcuffs. Yeah, just a little bit of, like, there's no... 
There was like Chekhov's handcuffs, but the, but not. Because they never went off. Right. It was a MacGuffin. They were a MacGuffin. They were Chekhov's <laughs> MacGuffin, MacGuffin handcuffs. handcuffs. These aren't the most graphic sex scenes I've ever read at all. Right. It's more just like, what was the point of spending so many pages talking about it if you weren't yeah. going to follow through? Yeah. I will say <laughs> that I personally do not find men in work boots like particularly sexy or work boots sexy in and of themselves. I will say that Bernie does. I really appreciate that Bernie asked for what she wanted. And I really like that Eli delivered. Yes. That's what I'll say about that. Yeah, I, I do think just as a general disclaimer, and please interrupt me and tell me I'm wrong if I'm speaking for you out of turn, Meg. I don't think like lumberjack dude chopping wood in his ratty old jeans like does it for either of us no he'd have to be like in a kilt like a scottish lumberjack in a kilt probably i'm not saying i can't find those people attractive in real life or like even like conceptually i don't understand what's attractive about the pioneer dude type yeah it's just not my thing I don't think it's Meg's thing either. Yeah. I mean, I, I get, I, I totally get like in real life, the attractiveness of a guy in some like worn in jeans and a soft t-shirt that looks like really good and hugs him in all the right places. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and this is, I mean, I'm totally being like petty and, and, and splitting hairs here. If I'm reading a romance novel, I don't want someone I find attractive in real life. I want someone who's like the fantasy. So like I want a cravat and a kilt. But it's, it's, if you're reading a book, you're not seeing the person, which I know is the most like duh statement I have ever said on this podcast, (laughs) but like you're not being attractive to an, attracted to an individual. You're being attracted to a concept. Yes. And the sexiest concept in the world to me is not going to be the guy who's, a landscaper who comes in at the end of a hard day's work covered in mud where bottom line is one of the texts I sent Meg writing this was like, I like this book, but there's no clothes porn. <laughs> there's no, that's the, that's the <laughs> problem. It's the clothes porn. There is no clothes porn. And I, I mean, just, there, look, there's work boot porn that just, that, that just doesn't hit our clothes porn price criteria. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, wait, I would totally recommend this book. I don't have anything actually critical to say about it not at all I I also totally agree with this book I totally agree I totally agree with Lane that this book is a recommended read especially if you are into contemporary man who works with his hands yes if you like a if you like a dude who um who's gonna fix your house up for you wearing jeans like this book is for you like and uh, like for the record I would like that in real life it's just not the fantasy read (laughs) if anyone would like to marry me and fix my condo I need new floors so that would be great (laughs) thank you guys so much for listening we'd love it if you could rate review and subscribe